and we're live. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Friendly Ex-Muslim Podcast. It's a beautiful New Year's Eve today and uh, we're doing well here, back here in Canada. It's lovely and snowy and and the weather is beautiful. Life is good. No complaints from my end. Today I have a very special guest. I have Salman on the show. I met Salman on TikTok and he goes by the moniker proud Pakistani gay. So he's a Pakistani ex-Muslim who left Islam around 2018. We're going to go through his story. How's it going, Salman? Hey, pretty good. Thank you for having me today. Good, good. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. So Salman, this is your, your first time coming on <laughs> and doing an interview, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I had one interview before and it was a very different nature. Um, very casual. I mean, I'm not saying this is not casual, but yeah, I've had one before. And this is the second yeah. one. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I it's to, don't worry. It's gonna be. It's gonna go just fine. We're just gonna do a chill conversation. So yeah. let's let's pressure is on. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about um, let's go back to your um your upbringing. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and your family background? Uh, yeah, for sure. So um, I'll start with my family. So my family um. My parents um, are Awal um, Ahanis, the Ahanis uh, Shia Mamis Muslims. It's a minority sect of, uh, it's a minority denomination of Islam. Ismailis. Uh, Ismailis, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's where my last name, Koja, comes from. Um, and uh, my parents converted. So my dad, uh, and, and, and there is, there's, there, it, it's, it's interesting because um, the story is not very straightforward. So we heard two versions of the story, but I'll tell you the most recent one. So my father, uh, his upbringing was already in a very um, Sunni Muslim neighborhood. And uh, he comes from a very poor background and he was raised with a lot of other, you know, um, Sunni influences. Let me, let me put it this way, which is very, very new finding for even us. So anyway, now I'll go back to the older version. So officially, so I, there, so what I'm trying to say is that there were already influences of Sunni um, denomination of Islam uh, in my father's upbringing as well. Although I always believed that he was raised as a as a smiley. Mm -hmm. um, so my father, um, he, I think, converted sometime. Um, when I was five, that was official. So that's when they declared that uh, that they are aren't Ismailis anymore, and that's what they. Because normally, what happens in Pakistan, I'm not really sure if you're aware or not. I'm pretty sure you are, but in Pakistan, uh, you're not. Sorry. No, no, uh, I don't know much about it. Because I, I think this the setup of Ismailis is pretty much um, similar across across the globe. Uh, so that's why I said you may be aware of it. But they live in colonies. They live in small communities. Um, they're very close tight-knit communities. So in Pakistan, we were living at that time when I was five in a community, in a colony, uh, which was only for Ismailis. Mm -hmm. So my father, when he declared when I, was, when I was five that he's no longer Ismaili, he left that colony and moved outside. So I considered that event as a very significant event. And I say officially left mm. is Ismailism. Uh, my mother converted after marriage uh, to, to a Sunni Muslim. Um, and once the, we left the colony, the culture or the upbringing, there was a massive shift, noticeable shift, I'd say, not massive shift. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that all of a sudden, because we left the colony and the ties, the the passion of the religion was at you know at, at the peak. And my um, uh, parents, of course, were you know enrolled us into Quranic classes. We were learning about Quran. We were having uh, religious. Uh, we, we used to call it study circles once a week in the house where our auntie and you know a few cousins and if if nobody's around, just you know. Um... Oh, what happened? Your sound. Uh, your sound got cut off. I think my oh, now it's fine. Battery. Oh, no, my it's fine. Battery is a little bit low. Okay, so I can actually uh, turn off. Yep. So- Sorry for that. So while you're doing that, um, I'm just going to reiterate what you said. So we, I didn't know this when I, when I contacted you, that we have something yeah. else in common that I was not expecting, which is that you, not you particularly, but your parents also converted from Ismaili to Sunni. So this was kind of like a surprise. Oh, my God. This guy's family is also ex-Smiley. <laughs> I was not expecting that. I don't know many ex-Smileys. I know like a couple. I've met one in real life. Actually, two. I met two in real life. I know lots of ex-Muslims, but not that many ex-Smiley. Smiley community is small, like 15 million or whatever. So uh, to hear that. So now we have this interesting background, shared background. Um, when I was in Kenya... We also lived in a colony. I don't know if it was an Ismaili colony, but it was a private gated community. Probably was an Ismaili thing. Uh, but I was yeah. too little, so I don't even know. But it was a private gated compound. community is the word I was looking for. Okay. So yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. So that must be that must have been an Ismaili. Yeah. So when you said that, I'm like, okay, that was nice. So did you miss it when you left that? Because now you're back just in a regular city or whatever. I was five at that time, but definitely I have very clear memories of hanging out fearless in the gated community, within the gated community. You know, I I can't even remember the friends' name. Actually, I do remember the names. Uh, it's surprising I was five, but I, rec- I can literally recall. I can't remember the faces, though. Yeah. I remember the names of my friends uh, who I used to hang out with. And there was just zero fear. You know, it was very safe environment. Um, yeah. We would just go in and out of each other's houses. And uh, yeah, there were no Can restrictions. I... Whereas, you know, when we moved uh, <clears throat> and left that gated community and moved outside, definitely it was a different neighborhood. We didn't know anybody. So my parents were very protective of us. We weren't allowed to go outside and just play, um, you know, with the kids outside. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely I, a thing. Can I ask, is it, do you think, time. I mean, you, you were young, but do you think it was a gated community for the Ismailis' safety? Like, do you feel unsafe? I mean, I don't know if you remember, you were so young, but do you know if it's unsafe for Ismailis in Pakistan in general? Or is it like, is that just a a Ismaili thing? uh, Definitely it is because um, I have um, heard a lot of incidences um, and I have a lot of Ismaili friends. So yes, definitely. Um, Is that making a lot of noise nope uh, it's fine in the background no okay nope. so it's just me that's yeah. kind of getting a little bit yeah uh, so okay so are you hearing echo from me or something you want me to put headphones on no 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 it's just whatsapp notifications that i'm getting okay so just wanted i to can't hear it so it's fine it's okay perfect okay that's yeah. it mm-hmm. um so um you asked me a question whether it is unsafe for smiling muslims outside uh their gated community yeah uh i would say yes there is definitely that element i mean living in pakistan i'm 
we're talking about specifically Pakistan. And yes. we're talking about specifically yes. the area where I am from. Okay. So, which is, which is um, what area? Which is Hyderabad and Karachi. Okay. So I've lived six years of my life in Karachi and my childhood have been, um, uh, uh, I was born and raised in Hyderabad, which is a couple of hours drive, a uh, couple of hours drive from Karachi. So yes, uh, it, it is. It, it definitely is. And Ismailis are considered as uh, by the people that are not uh, a part of the Ismaili community or aren't close to Ismaili community. They are considered as non-Muslims. And um, there are weird uh, kind of uh, ideas about them outside the community. Some of them <laughs> being true and some of them being not. I know what you're talking about. There's a lot of... Um... Like uh, they worship, you know, Ismailis worship Aga Khan and they like drink his bath, like all sorts of nonsense, right? Right. Yeah. Definitely. I'm going to say something interesting. Um, to me, it's interesting that I always found it strange that in Pakistan, Ahmadiyas are demonized much more than Ismailis. And let's let's talk about this a little bit. Ahmadis, also known as Qadianis, uh, to, in order to get a Pakistani passport, you have to swear or declare, I agree that Ghulam Mirza Ahmed is a fake prophet. You have to do basically blasphemy against, uh, they don't think of it as blasphemy, but they're doing blasphemy against Ahmadis, Ahmadism. I don't know if that's a word. Ahmadism? Ahmadiyya? Ahmadiyat. They're doing, you have to do blasphemy against Ahmadiyya. You have to basically uh, say this is a false religion and a false prophet. It's like such a strange thing for a nation state to put that on the passport application. Ahmadis are like one of the most persecuted communities, and but I don't think Ismailis are persecuted to that extent. Would you agree with that? I I would definitely. I mean, I had uh, an Ahmadi friend, and he couldn't even say assalamu alaikum. He would feel so good in saying assalamu alaikum to me, yeah, <laughs> because. <laughs> Because he said that if I say Assalamu Alaikum to other people, I could get into trouble. So he took pride so in saying Assalamu Alaikum to me because he felt that he could and I wouldn't put him into trouble. Oh so I was God. always a safe person for That's him. So it is it is so stupid. Um I mean, yes, people are offended. I get why they're offended. I was once a Muslim, a Sunni Muslim. Um, yeah. I understand. But well, if you're comfortable in your religion, why would someone's belief offend you? Yeah. And it, why would so, you feel so? It's so backwards. Like, my dad was a smiley, and he used to say, Salam Alaikum, but he used to say, he used to say it kind of wrong. He would say, Salam Alaikum or something. <laughs> and I used to right. always used to correct him. I used to say, no, no, it's not Salam Alaikum. It's Assalamu Alaikum, right? Or something. He would say it in a funny way. <laughs> but right. he had, and when he met Sikhs, he would say Srasika, right? He would say, you know, their greeting. And uh, right. when he met Hindus, he would say Namaste. Why mm -hmm. are you so offended if I say peace be upon? Like, it just shows you that in Pakistan, it's like a cult that you are not even allowed to say the greeting if you're not part of the community that says that greeting. It's, it's so ridiculous. It's so stupid. It's so backwards. It's so bigoted. At the, at, the, at the bottom of it is bigotry because they don't want someone to think. And so tell me if you agree with me on this. The reason I think that Ahmadis are so demonized and not Ismailis is because Ahmadis look like Sunni Muslims. They sound like Sunni Muslims. Like in, from, if you met an Ahmadi, 
you would not know he's not Sunni. In fact, I was in university when I was studying and I was praying with this guy. We used to pray every day. And one day he told me I'm Ahmadi. I was like, you're Ahmadi? I never knew that. Like, I, There's no way to know. Because from all intents and purposes, they're like kind of like Sunni, right? Except their beliefs are a little bit different. Whereas Ismailis, you would know because Ismailis are distinct and unique in their worship and their behavior and everything. So I'm guessing Pakistani government, I don't know why the government cares, but they're more threatened maybe because of the religious influence of the Mulvies or whatever. They're more threatened by people that look Sunni but are not Sunni than clearly non-Sunnis. Okay. I mean, you're asking me whether I agree with it or not. Um, so I can only talk on my behalf. I can't really talk on behalf of the whole community. I know how I felt and I know how, what, what, because I was once a Muslim, so I can definitely talk on behalf of Muslims based on my experiences. I never, I was never threatened by Ahmadis. I was never th threatened by Qadianis. I did consider them as wrong, like a lot of other Muslims, yeah, because I believe they didn't believe in finality of of muhammad um and that's that's where it ended whereas ismailis did not believe in the what do believe in the finality of 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 the prophet and then they believe that it's imamat that continues right and, and that's a different concept that's like she so there's a lot of like whether if you're going to ask me if shias are safe in pakistan or not i'd say no they get persecuted too right uh but i put ismailis in that category of shias uh whereas Ahmadis is altogether a little bit different ball game they are so they threaten uh, in, in in muslims mind they threaten <laughs> like right um when i was a muslim they threaten the belief the core belief the the core principle of of islam which is believing in one god and the finality of prophet so i think it's a in my mind at least again yeah you you could be right it could it could be looks it could be the way they speak, um, you know, which is similar to Sunni Muslims, which is why Sunni Muslims get threatened. Perhaps there's an element to that. I never thought of it that way. Hmm. I always thought that their belief is different to the core principle of Islam, which is um, one God and one uh, the finality of Prophet Muhammad. Right. Um, and because they don't believe into that, that's why they aren't Muslims. Uh, but mm -hmm. going to the extreme lengths where they cannot call their religious place a mosque, <laughs> they cannot say "Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh." Yeah. Those things I never, I never believed in those, even yeah. when I was a Muslim. Yeah, that's a, just that's just like crazy extreme. As yeah. as a former Ismaili myself, I will tell you that even though Ismailis do believe in the finality of prophethood, the imamet process is basically more. I'm going to say it is a prophet. Like for all intents and purposes, like the Imam, the Ismaili Imam has more power even than Prophet Muhammad did because he is actually interpreting, according to them, he's interpreting the Quran. So that's a loophole. He's interpreting the Quran, but he is basically making the laws just like Muhammad did. And, and he's doing more than Muhammad. So in Sunni Islam, for example, the five times prayers are five times prayer. No scholar can change that. No imam can say, no, no Malvi or mufti can say, well, now we're going to pray three times a day. But with the Ismailis, the Ismaili imam took away the hijab, took away, the, there's no zakat anymore now, it's dasond. There's no hajj anymore. Ramadan's optional. Like all of these things, are, like it's it's changed even like 
the power that the imam has is even more than the like basically the prophet would have and some prophets had so from that perspective <laughs> yep I'm just going to make a slight adjustment. I really yep. like what you're saying because I totally agree with it. I've got a lot of smiley friends and smiley family yep. members. And what I would say and add to that is not only Imam has more power than Prophet, I think he has more power than God. <laughs> uh, I would say that. Um, because the word of God. But it's yeah. not what Ismailis think. It's not what it's what yeah. the outside community perceives. I think that's what we're we're talking about Sunni Muslims how they perceive Ismailis, right? Yes. yes so yes, yes, I don't yes, think yes. that that concept that they don't believe in the finality of Prophet so registers hmm. at a level where as it as it registers for Ahmadis, if that makes any sense. Yes. So yes, even yeah. Shias, uh, Bohras, which is uh, you know the same brother split between so i don't know how much you know about smileys and Boras, bit, yeah, but they were that, yeah. pretty much the same community yeah. at, at one point um so the ideas about those communities um they, they're there i mean people do think that they are different they are uh, non-muslims or they are funded by everything in pakistan that is not the norm um, it is funded by Jews. So I've heard a lot of arguments that these communities are funded or even created by Jews. But again, the animosity towards these communities is not as much as Ahmadis. And I personally think it is because of explicit statement that Ahmadis make that we do not believe in the finality of prophethood. Mm. So the interesting thing is, um, I feel like there's... They're, they're just picking on something silly, in my opinion, because at the end of the day, you know, Ismailis do worse than say he's not a prophet, worse in the religious sense. Like they actually make dua to Aga Khan. Ya Ali to Rahim ka, Ya Mola to Fazal ka. I'm probably saying it wrong, but like, oh Ali, have mercy on me and bless me. And yeah. Ahmadis don't even do that. Ahmadis pray to Allah only. So it's it's so ridiculous to me that all of this religious persecution is going on one arbitrary like law or something whereas you know the 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 another religious community that's kind of doing you know sort of worse is fine and all of the communities should be fine let's be honest no community should be treated badly just because they worship a different god or they have different version of the religion or some different beliefs the Ahmadi religion is actually way more progressive than, and, and Ismailism is way more progressive than Sunni Islam. And Pakistan is one of the worst countries in the world for, for like, where Sunnis are basically being like, like the, not, not the Sunnis, but the religious enforcement of Sunnism from the government to the blasphemy law towards minorities, Christians, Ahmadis, probably Shias. It's horrid. It's really something that if you're a Muslim, but you're not Sunni, you would be better off living in Canada than living in Pakistan. As a Muslim, yeah. you, your religious rights would be respected and you, you would have more dignity as a Muslim. Not They don't consider you Muslim, not the other Sunnis, but you would be treated better in Canada, which is to me one great reason why we need secularism and why religious law should not be influencing the government. Absolutely, 100%. And honestly speaking, even as a... So here's the thing, like I, we convert as Sunni Muslims. I was raised um, uh, pretty much as a Sunni Muslim, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Should we say that I was accepted 
win the society uh, because I was um, I had the privilege. I wouldn't disregard that privilege, you know, that um, other people don't. I was a male. I was um, I am a male. None I was, but I'm just talking about Indian <laughs> yeah. society, yeah. Yeah. right? I was uh, in Pakistan. I was a male. I was a Sunni Muslim. So of course I had that privilege. But even you know, even I did not have um, a, the rights that I think a human being should have. So yeah, it's a very difficult and, and weird, weird society. You know, it's just weird. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But if you're a woman, say for example, I'd say you'd be far better off in Canada. If you're poor in Pakistan, you'd be far better off in Canada than you you'd be in Pakistan. If you are any religious minority, specifically atheist, specifically an ex-Muslim, you'd definitely be better off in Canada or anywhere else than in Pakistan. <laughs> so yeah, it's a difficult place to be in, I would say. People don't realize though. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, some of these issues are third world issues and some of them are issues that are caused by the religion itself like that's that's just like the blunt way to put it the actual of course it, it all depends how you interpret the religion right i mean there's there's definitely progressive ways to interpret islam but it to me it boils down to the religion is discriminatory by its very nature the religion has all of these special treatments between like different, you treat people differently based on what religion they are. If you're a kafir or you're a mu'min, whether you're my sect or a different sect, you, there's different treatment. Like some people ask questions. I remember as a Muslim hearing questions like, can I marry a Shia? I'm Sunni. Can I marry a Shia? And you would hear sometimes answers like, well, yeah, if you're a male Sunni, you can marry a Shia woman, but not the other way around. A Shia man cannot marry, sorry, a Shia woman, a Sunni woman cannot marry a Shia man. Like, they, they, there's no real right and wrong to these answers because the scholar will make up the answer what he thinks makes sense and it's all man-made at the end of the day but yeah it's just you know the, the religious doctrine is not good for humanity that's my opinion i i believe that we can do much better and we've we've seen that like and the enlightenment project secular humanism you know the universal declaration of human rights this is all really good stuff that has made society made the world a better place yeah i, I totally agree with that I, I i do think that religion is evil in nature <laughs> uh i definitely think that if we did not have religion we'll be far better off as a society um and uh, at one point religion if you think of the way i look at the religion and that's why i hesitate when i call religion evil um it's because if i look at the origin of it you know it may just be a law set of rules set of regulations that worked for that society so it may well be very modern in the times it was brought in right i mean there's a reason why there were so many followers um of muhammad or of jesus whatever religion you want to talk about right so and and if you look at it in the context of that society it does appear very modern very liberating but you can't just hold on to those ideas i mean that is devastating for the current modern society that we're living in um so yes religion is definitely evil in the current scenario i i totally agree and i wish that we could have a secular government um and one day hopefully we will in pakistan so i would um one thing I would say to that is I would say that that broad stroke, I would maybe narrow it down to 
you know, the current, um, like, interpretation of, especially Islamism, is is evil. I would say that if someone wants to pra privately practice their religion, that is their right to do so. I don't think they will be better off for that. I think they'll be worse off. But, um, you know, that would be their right to do so. So, and then, of course, there are other religions that are not, like, Abrahamic religions, for example, like, Hinduism, Buddhism, and stuff, where there are some actually really interesting things in there. For example, mindfulness, meditation, and things like that, which I think are actually good. Now, I don't believe in karma. I don't believe in reincarnation and all that other stuff. But mm -hmm. um, for sure, I'd say religion had its purpose. And there's a reason why we we had religion. And, you know, it basically, um, in Sapiens, you know, Yuval Harari says that this belief in a shared and shared God, shared spirit belief is what allowed homo sapiens to kind of band together. And you see that many, many governments will use religion in order to conquer, in order to unite. That's what Muhammad did. Mm. That's what Emperor Constantine did with uh, Christianity. This idea of a, of a shared belief, it actually, it's something that you can unite people on because otherwise, you know, we're all different. But I do think that the time has come for us to leave religion behind and to get past that, especially because there's so many harmful ideas in religion. And we've we've mm. actually evolved societies now that have human rights and they have structures in place to protect the vulnerable. We have LGBT rights. We have rights for animals. We have rights for women and children, things that didn't exist. And yes, religion maybe added some of some to some of those, but also took to some of those. Right. Took away some of those. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I always look look at my, you know, like I said, I'm not an activist, right? So I don't look at these theories um, as um, what, you know, and, and their impact on the society. And of course, maybe we should talk about it. But generally speaking, I look at my individual life and how it impacted my personal life. So religion did a lot of good things as well. And I'm very open to talk about them as well, right? Like, let's say, for example, there was a set of laws and rules in front of me. And I knew uh, that you know, uh, these laws and regulations are the, well, it's, it's impossible to attain them because this is the, this is perfection. Let me put it this way, but I, let's say for example, my parents are doing something against those rules and regulations. I could challenge them. So it gave me, it gave me that authority to challenge them, to think outside the box. And that was very, especially if you look at our setup where we were doing the study circles. We weren't holding on to the ideas or traditions that were passed on from generation to generation. There was always that element, okay, well, if the religion says this, why are you doing this? So I still recall, my dad was very much tired one day and uh, there was a knock at the door and there was someone that he did not want to see. So he said to me, Salman, go and tell them that I'm not at home. And I said, I'm not going to do that, dad. You've taught me not to lie. And I still remember that and that, now, should you call that upbringing or should you call that religion? You know, it's very difficult to separate the two. But at that point in time, that power, that authority that I had as an individual child, maybe 10, 12 years old, I thought that it came from, from the religion, from God, right? So that was a positive aspect of the religion where we could challenge our elders and, 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 and give us that authority and that power. At the same time, you know, uh, that power can be misutilized. And I think it is misused more than it is put to the right use, right? Uh, and it's the same power, the same power whereby a brother tells a sister that she cannot go outside the house without covering her head. Who are you 
same, you know, to, to tell, tell your sister who gives you authority, just a piece of meat between your legs that looks different than what your sister has. You know what I'm saying? Like a, a father telling the daughter who she should get married to. Same, same religion gives that, that father the power to tell the daughter. I don't, I don't get it. So I think it's just the same power uh, which can be used positively or negatively, right? But why have that in the first place? And that's why I, like, I, this is why I sometimes get confused. Why do we need religion in the first place? Because since I've left the religion, I honestly feel like that there wasn't any need of the religion. Like all the things that we were taught, the good principles, ethics, they could be found anywhere else. You know, they're just morals well known to the humankind, not necessarily to Muslims. Yeah. Um, and those are the things that really, you know, kind of, I started when I started questioning myself, I'm like, you know, well, this is not really something that I want to I want to believe or, or I want to follow because um, all those morals were available to the humankind generally, you know, at least the ones that I wanted to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well said. I agree with everything you said that I think you said it really well. So, you know, this is interesting. We've been talking for 30 minutes and we never got into the actual your actual story yet. Let's let's get into it. Let's talk about um so how do you want to start? Do you want to talk about how did your gayness affect your relationship with your family? Did you, did, when did you tell them? Did you tell them? You didn't tell them? How did that affect your, your belief in Islam? Did it affect it at all? Did you feel any internalized guilt? Okay, first of all, I have to say something. I'm sorry, I'm going to interject. You use this word gayness. It feels <laughs> as if it's something. It's an adjective. Uh -huh. Being gay is a part of me. It's a part of yeah. my identity. I can't look at it as gayness as okay. being separate from myself. So I just yes. wanted to clarify. Oh that. yeah, yeah. It just sounds. I know it, it is absolutely correct yeah. in the way you're using it. It just sounds weird to me. Okay. So, so should I say like being you're being gay, kind of like being that? gay? Yeah. yeah, being gay. That's me. That's who I am. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so, so you're being gay. So, could you tell me like how that affected? You know, the your did it affect your religious belief? Did you feel any internalized shame and guilt? You know, because that's something I hear from other other uh, friends of mine that were gay. Give me, let me, let me tell me how you were thinking and how, how you're feeling. Sure. So, I mean, being gay definitely has to do with with me. You know, uh, thinking outside the box. Uh, did I leave the religion because I was gay? I would say no, because I actually was at a place where I was completely accepting of homosexuality as a Muslim. Oh, so wow. my identity. Yes. So this is this is so I'm gonna tell you quickly about my journey and then we can go deep into it just so that you know the phases of my life and then you can decide what you phase you want to focus on, right? <clears throat> so basically, you know, it started off uh, our my journey as a very uh, practicing Sunni Muslim. You know, my parents, like I initially mentioned, they converted and the religious uh, the household becomes extremely religious to the point where we didn't have TV or you know what like movie we weren't watching movies i still recall my sisters you know covering their heads as soon as my father enters the house it was that kind of religious setup you know i recall uh having competitions uh, with uh, between our siblings in between us siblings who prays five times and who's doing uh not just the five times but also nuffle 
and also Ishraq and um, what's the other one? Tahajjud, Tahajjud and Ishraq. So we were we were so religious that we were like competing with each other, you know. And then we would keep adding elements such as let's say, okay, who recited Quran, who recited translation. So it wasn't just about the recitation of Quran in Arabic, because in the household the focus was let's read um, the the text, let's understand it, and. Uh, it was interesting because when I would, with this kind of upbringing, when I would go outside of the society and I would talk about my ideas as a child, I would often be ridiculed because I would be, I was told that, oh, you can't question God. Oh, you can't. And it was very opposite to what I was used to at home. It was always questioning. It was always asking the right question or, or wrong questions, just any questions whatsoever, right? So just kind of uh, give you an idea of our household so that the rest of the phases would make sense. So that's where that's where I started. Uh, that's what I consider my uh, start of journey as a Muslim. Then um, definitely, you know, at some point in my life, and that was very, very young, right? So at some point in my life, I started having these thoughts uh, about of, of attraction towards men and not women. And uh, of course, I, I knew that something was different. I was a little bit, fe I had feminine traits as well, right? Uh, um, um, like a lot of other gays, I'm not saying all gays have feminine traits, but I did, uh, and I still do. Um, so when I was, um, I was ridiculed for them as well. I was bullied for those traits uh, as a child uh, up until a certain point. And uh, at that point, it did not make a lot of sense. Um, but eventually, you know, when I started to uh, recognize that attraction towards men, I knew that I was different. And that's where my battle, you know, of internalized homophobia started. Um, I had heard a lot of things because we could talk about a lot of things at our home. You know, there was this campaign about HIV and AIDS um, that was very popular at one point in Pakistan. Um, and uh, um, I asked my mom that, hey, in this advertisement, they're talking about a relationship between men and men. What does that mean? And you know, my, the way my mom explained is, oh, these are bad people. These are horrible people. They they do something that is disgusting and unnatural that is prohibited. So definitely, you know, there was uh, a lot of homophobia in my surroundings as well, which is why I developed an internalized homophobia. There were conversations about, you know, we use the word and I'm going to use, uh, I'm going to try to find correct translation of it, but I'm going to use that word in Urdu. We call it Nahusat or um, uh, Pitgar, that basically your face looks cursed or ugly. Um, so, you know, I brought, I was brought up with the idea that gay people have that um, curse on their face that you can tell. And basically what they're talking about is a little bit of feminine touch on the face, right? Which over time I realized that it is not ugliness. It is actually beauty. But I'll talk about that journey as well. So yeah. I, I was again brought up, and I, I internalized all of those things. And you know, I used to look at men uh, who looked a little bit feminine, and I used to really find them ugly, and I used to find them that they are cursed by God. So you know, I asked my mom again, and I said, "Mom, uh, you know, you told me that these people look cursed or look ugly." But then there are so many other people that are doing things that are not uh, according to Islam. And I talked about beautiful actors and actresses in the movies. And I'm like, look at how they dress up. They're not dressing up according to Islam, but they don't look ugly. They look pretty. 
So the way my mom explained it is, hey, you know what? It's because when you think that something is wrong and you internalize it, you feel guilt and that guilt reflects. So maybe these actors and actresses that are definitely doing something wrong uh, that is against Islam, but they don't really feel that that's wrong. This is why they're not, um, they're not, uh, they're, they're not looking cursed. It was, but there was, you, you can see that I was questioning and I was getting answers, right or wrong answers, right? But there was always that flexibility in the household. You could ask questions. Yeah. Um, and her, anyway, her responses, so her, sorry, if I can just interrupt, yeah, if I can please. just interrupt her, her response was, <laughs> funny because it makes no sense she's trying to say know. that if you don't feel guilty then it doesn't but like most i'd say most gay people that are gay they don't necessarily feel guilty about they don't think there's anything wrong with it she's trying to say that basically the guilt manifests itself in this darkness or something right yeah absolutely which is definitely wrong right yeah but i, and I one did not thing, think of it that time as wrong yeah and right? exactly so exactly yeah, yeah. And yeah. one more thing, so I was going to say before you jump, sorry, before you continue, one more last thing. Um, it's yeah. funny this thing about it's not natural. Like, I'm just going to put it out there that most sexual acts, other than like straight intercourse, are not natural. Like, is oral sex natural? <laughs> not really. I don't know. Like, is it like so? It's it's like a silly distinction to make. But anyways, let's let's continue. Yeah, I, I mean, and at that point, it did not make sense, right? And it's the idea, the reason why I'm kind of like emphasizing on these aspects as well is because I'm kind of trying to like help you, you know, get into my brain and think how I was thinking at that point, right? So at that point, and it was kind of like, and the, she further on, go, uh, she further says that, you know, if you do feel guilt, if, if you're doing something wrong and you feel guilt, uh, know that it's a voice of God. So listen to it and stay away from that act. And, and, and that's a vicious circle. She's trying to trap you, right? Whatever she's saying. So I, as a child, of course, if you have been brought up in the kind of environment that I've been brought up, you would hate being gay. Now, if you are having guilty, you think that you're having guilty because you're wrong. So you you just, you know what I'm saying? So even if, if there is guilt that you're feeling and you know, hey, there is, it may be wrong, it may not be wrong, but then you're sort of put back into your place because your mom told you, hey, if you feel guilt, it must be wrong. So that becomes your benchmark, if that makes any sense. So that's how I was thinking at that point. Uh, anyway, um, moving along, um, that comes the next phase of my life when I moved outside my um, uh, So before we jump to that, and, sorry, and before we jump to that. Sure, sure. sorry, yeah. This was in Pakistan. Yes, it's all in Pakistan. And and how old were you? So I left. So at that point, I, I think I left my hometown when I was in 11th grade. That would make me maybe like 18, 19 years old. Okay. So obviously by this point in time, you knew you were gay. When did you know you were you were gay? Like, was it from the like... First the first time? You, yeah. The first time I realized that there was something different about me. I mean, of course, you know, I was different uh, since I was a child. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that something was different about me. That wasn't like other boys. Uh, but other than that, when I realized was the first time I was watching a uh, uh, movie, uh, uh, Rambo, uh, Rambo, you know, yeah. Silver Stallone. Yeah. So I, I saw him uh, shirtless in, in the picture and I found him extremely attractive. And that was the moment I was like, hmm, that is not right. There's no woman in that scene. That's not right. And I was 12 years old at that time. <laughs> okay. Good yeah, to know. 12 or 13. And 
just to um put put this out there i i mean there was no sexual abuse or anything like that in your childhood the only reason i'm bringing that up is because sometimes people say this is connected to that i know it's not and i know we see you know um we see gain gayness i'm saying i keep saying gayness we see animal engage in homosexual activity as well so we know this is natural this happens in nature around five percent of animals but just to just to like you know elephant in the room to some people that are wondering there was no sexual abuse or anything like that this was, was just no the way you, this was just the way i wasn't inappropriately touched yeah. by my elders or by yeah i had experiences you know but they were all consensual um yeah. and i had very limited experiences unfortunately because i was growing up in pakistan and i had internalized <laughs> homophobia but i wouldn't go into the details of that um but yeah, I mean, I would say that there was no, I'm confident to say that there aren't uh, any sexual abuses or even molestation um, in my childhood or in adulthood. And would you say you had a good relationship with your family members, your parents? Sorry, siblings? I had a good relationship with your family, siblings, parents. Absolutely. I had a phenomenal relationship with my, um, with my um, parents and my siblings, my sister, uh, actually, my sister and, and, and people used to give example of my sister and my love. Um, that's how close we were. Um, my younger sister, um, by the way, my younger sister was adopted by my uh, auntie. So she, she didn't live in the same household mm -hmm. up until a certain point. So it was quite a highlight in the family, you know, that the love between the siblings. And, and yeah, absolutely. I was loved. I felt love. I, my childhood was actually full of love. So I do have... Um, feeling like I, even if I let's say for example you know I do blame my parents for a lot of things you know especially my internalized homophobia and my life could have been better if they didn't really you know uh, um teach those like toxic values teach those things you know yeah. um that are not not still I wouldn't say because I've overcome them successfully but up to a certain point you know I would I, I had to deal with them um I blame them for a lot of things but I do remember being loved and safe and secure uh, and my basic needs being met and not just the basic needs i'd say i i was i was i was the only child of my parents like oh, sorry only son of my parents that is the only child i'm sorry yeah i was the only son of my parents you know and in pakistani household it is a big deal my dad <laughs> prayed uh you know for a son after having two daughters and there i was um his his son his gay son but son you know <laughs> so you know this is interesting too because a lot of people think that not just you know for gay individuals but also for ex-muslims in general those this is another common meme that you guys had a bad childhood oh you must have you know daddy issues or mommy issues or whatever but it's not true people don't like it's silly to even think that like we don't leave the religion necessarily and people that have bad relationships with their parents can still be muslim i mean it's so obvious that that's not the reason people leave islam but the reason we leave islam is because the teachings they don't fit with reality and this you're a perfect example of someone that has a good relationship with your with your parents your siblings and yet you still found your way out of the religion so i interrupted you but now we can if you want continue just to the next stage of your life yeah, please feel free to interrupt me, right? Uh, anytime you'd like to. Thanks. So the next phase of my life is I move out of my hometown. I'm living on my own. Now I'm allowed to do 
and make whatever experiences I want, right? I have no super close supervision of my parents. I wasn't even my grandma, but my grandma didn't know what was going on in my personal life. Um, and, and, and it was all internalized homophobia. And unfortunately, I did not get to experience anything. I stayed away from it. I was trying to get into more and more into religion. The more I would feel the desire of, you know, uh, acting upon my gayness, let's say. <laughs> but, you know, the more I drove away from it because of my religious upbringing and because of that guilt trap that I was, I felt trapped into literally. Um, yeah. Um, and at some point in that struggle, so up until that point, right, I am not even allowing myself to, to think on my gay desires, think about my gay desires. I'm, I'm prohibiting, of course, I can't control them, right? So the thoughts are there. I'm finding a man attractive and, you know, I, you know, I am attracted and I wanna, I wanna check him out. Uh, but I'm trying to stop myself from doing that, thinking that it's sin, thinking that it's unnatural, um, thinking that I'm not born this way, thinking that it is a disease um, and I can cure it. Uh, praying harder and harder every day so that, you know, I can overcome it. Uh, also trying to know girls uh, and date them so that, you know, thinking that they are going to save me somehow uh, from being gay. Uh, eventually, I came to terms that it is not unnatural. It is something that I'm born with. Uh, and that is all happening while I'm in Pakistan. And I have to embrace it. And then I... And that narrative, I, I strongly believe it's very, very damaging, but I started believing uh, for the gay community, but I started believing into that, uh, into that narrative that you're born gay, but so if you, it's natural to be a homosexual, but it's not okay to act upon your homosexual desire. That's and, the, Islamic, the Islamic thing they say, it, right? Yeah. yeah, and uh, I started believing to the narrative and I said, okay, well, I am born gay. This is how God has made me, but it is a test. What kind of pathetic God it is that it's testing you that way. That's telling, and it's, it's the separation. Unfortunately, people are unable to separate the sexual component of being gay and the desire of being loved and mm. give, being able to give somebody love, right? I wanted to love a person like any other man. My desire of that was very, uh, uh, I would say in a Pakistani context, very male in nature. I wanted to protect somebody. I wanted to, you know, uh, be the breadwinner of the household. Um, you know, like very, like how I was taught, you know, as a, as a male child. So those were my desires. I really wanted to do that for someone. So it wasn't really the sexual component that was, hey, I, I find this guy attractive. Um, and I want to, you know, have sex with him. That wasn't the only thing that drives you when you're homosexual. Exactly. It's the desire oh, of being loved. Even when you're straight. Love. Even when you're straight. Like, it's it's so silly. People don't see this. Like, they always, they always re reduce it to sex. But right. think of it as a straight person. I mean, for those of you who are straight and trying to put yourself in the mind of a gay person, it's very easy to understand just think of yourself. <laughs> it's not only about sex. It's about being loved. It's about someone to take care of you. It's about a partnership. It's about building a life together, right? It's about shared dreams and goals and spending time. I mean, the sex is like 
five percent maybe ten percent of i mean i guess depending on your age because when you're younger it's probably like 50 percent for guys but as time goes by as you as you you know mature as into um you know an adult you start you care less about that and you care more about other things and it becomes part of your life still you know but it's not the focus and of course for younger guys you know it's different you know but yeah that's such a good point it's yeah. not just about sex it's about relationships with others it's about love like people need yeah. to understand it's about falling in love you know all of the things that you want to go to gay men and gay women have the same desires that you do it's just right. put yourself in put yourself in their head by by just putting yourself in your own head you didn't cho- i never chose to be attracted to women i i didn't make that choice i can't even help it it's just it's just automatic it's it's totally hardwired the same way right. that you have no choice either and and i'm talking about my experiences and my my thought process back then right so now i think completely differently i think that it's not even just the desire of being loved it's a part of identity like i was yeah. gay when i was a child i felt different I yeah. did not have any desire to provide shelter to anybody yeah. when I was five years old. I did not yeah. have any desire to bring, you know, food on someone's table to, to earn money. Yeah. I did not have any of those desires. I didn't understand what sex was, uh, right? Point. So I did yeah. not know those things, but I knew I was different. So now, and, and, and this is going to happen, like over the course of this interview, I'm going to say things that I don't believe anymore, right? It was like, I don't believe that it's a male desire to protect. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a very... Um, uh, what do you call that? You know, um, binary, uh, gender binary way of thinking. But I, I, I and, and I've evolved, right? So, but I'm gonna try to do justice to the story. I'm gonna tell you how I was thinking at that point in time. So at that point in time, I knew that, okay, well now it's natural. I am born gay, but I cannot act upon it because it is looked down upon by God. When two men lay in the bed, the God throne shakes. And that was my belief. And, uh, it was a belief that I held uh, for a very long time. So then I moved to Dubai for a job. Um, actually, I moved to South Africa. I lived there only for three months, so it was irrelevant. I'm not going to talk about that experience. And I moved to Dubai. And when I was in Dubai, I was like, you know what? I want to explore that, uh, that aspect. So like you said, you know, the sexual component uh, of the desire was very high at that time. I wanted to explore that. And uh, I had... Uh, and that's why sex education is so important because honestly, uh, especially for homosexual people, be- well, for straight people too, but now in the West, at least we do have that education, sex education for for heterosexual people. And they're trying to introduce uh, sexual education for homosexual. And I think there is some form of uh, homosexual sex education as well, but it's not as, as good. That's what I understand from what I've read. Um, so I, I started looking for experiences and the, I, I had a first encounter with this guy. Um, we couldn't even, we couldn't even have sex. It was terrible. I started crying with hiccups. I don't still understand whether it was my internalized homophobia, why I cried, or it was just, you know, we were different. It wasn't jiving two men, right? We didn't know what to, we, we didn't, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand where I stood. Uh, about anything, you know, m- m- I'm dealing in my own misogynistic and uh, had, uh, and um, um, internalized homophobia, uh, phobic thoughts, while not knowing what to do with another man. And that was very confusing. So I started crying with hiccups. So anyway, nothing happened then. 
So and that, and that was a journey. And then I met someone and, you know, we had amazing time. And honestly, in that time, I didn't feel like the God, like, and that was the question that I asked, why would God, like, is he like a two years old that he, he would throw his toys out of the window and his throne will start shaking because two people are having such a beautiful time? Like, what, <laughs> what the hell did we actually do there? Why is he so narcissistic and, and has got so much ego? So I had those thoughts in my in yeah. my mind, right? God's so God's like, phone was shaking because uh, he's watching and he's enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well that may be very disrespectful to a lot of your viewers who are Muslim. Uh, yeah. So yeah, sure, of course, definitely. Um, but I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, these things don't even make sense. I, I don't no. know why they're there. Yeah. So anyway, so then I started questioning that those aspects of the religion too. Started looking into it, started, you know, reading. And I, at that point, somehow, uh, and there was one important aspect of my journey that I'm, I'm, I missed. And that was because we were allowed to question uh, in my household, I would bring these ideas that I would hear from outside and I would discuss them with my parents. So now this is going back to the childhood phase. But your parents um, were not I in, say, do you, you mean, you mean you, you're telling me when you were back at home or you mean from Dubai, you would call your parents? No, 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 no. So back at home. So okay. going back to okay. the childhood, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, I heard uh, from a child that, hey, you cannot question God. You cannot question his existence. And I brought that idea to home and I'm like, can we question his existence? And my dad said, of course you can. Here's the evidence. Of course you've got to. Here's the evidence. Here's the evidence. You That's keep good. questioning. These are people interpretations. So I was always open to this idea that everything that I'm hearing is not a part of Islam because it's, it could be just the interpretation, right? So, uh, also, right? And when, so now, yeah. So now yeah. coming back to Dubai, uh, when I'm having these thoughts, right, that God's throne cannot shake. So I'm again questioning the religion and the interpretations of the religion. Uh, and I'm like, maybe it's just the wrong interpretation. So I started looking into it and I realized that it could be. I mean, there is, I mean, the whole story, whenever you talk about being gay in Islam, people would refer to the story of Lot. Yes. And then I started looking into that. And honestly, that was such an eye-opening story because in that story, what I recognized and realized is that Lot, you know, these people were, uh, had women, had wives, first of all, at, 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 at their homes. Then they... Uh, see these guests right and they want to rape these guests and when they're raping and again i'm talking about the mindset at that time right i don't think like that anymore i'm not a muslim i just want to be very very clear like i'm justifying these ideas and justifying quranic verses but yeah. that's not how i think anymore yeah yeah um so in that time i was like you know these people want to rape so maybe it's not about being gay it's about being having women cheating on them and raping them but then you read more into the story and you recognize what Lot did. I mean, Lot offered his daughters to these men having, whoa. So as like, I find that idea very fascinating. I'm like, maybe that's how you fix be homosexual. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually gonna, if, if you have any Muslim viewers, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make them, well, I'm, I'm gonna request them to, to think about it. If that's what the solution is, and if you are actually fathers of, of daughters, then I would want you to marry your daughters to homosexual people. Find homosexual people and find them because that's how Lot cured homosexuality. I mean, <laughs> that's the only way. Yeah.
You and and that's that's the second. You ask homosexual people to sacrifice their desires. Why don't you sacrifice <laughs> your daughters by marrying them to to homosexual people? But anyway, sorry, I don't yeah. mean that. Sorry, girls, no. women, I don't mean that. Your no, fair parents have absolutely no say in who you should get married to. Anyway, coming well, back. They have, a, they have a say, but they should. They, you get to make the choice. I mean, it, I think parents do care about, generally, do have, um, you know, the daughter's best, in, well, I guess it depends from family to family, but we would hope that parents would have the daughter's best interest in mind when they try to find a partner for the children. And But at the end of the day, the daughter needs to decide for herself, right? That's how I would put it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very well put. Thank you for that. Uh, so in my journey, really quickly summarizing, and then at that point, I, I came to a point where I was like, okay, you know what? This can't be true. So I stopped believing in a lot of hadith, and I was very open to interpretation. I just want to tell you my frame of mind at that point, at some point in that journey, was I'm a Muslim who accepts homosexuality. I'm a gay Muslim. I even reached to a conclusion that even hijab for women uh, it's not mandatory. Uh, it's circumstantial and it is um, it is modesty that Islam preaches. So I was that Muslim and and then, you know, I was very happy, uh, happy gay Muslim man uh, at that point. Um, so for those people that struggling to, you know, uh, uh, leave the religion because it's such an important integral part of their identity, I, 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 I'll tell them I hear them. I understand them. And honestly, you can embrace both identities, being a Muslim and, and homosexual. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can make that decision. I, I was, and I, I did make that decision, whether it was the right decision or not, but it made me happy. I was a happy person. But and then you, I left Islam, you, and that was the next phase. So do you not agree, though, that the community would not accept most people that are gay Muslims? Because yes, I know I there was... Islam. Yeah, <laughs> because I know that there was a, there was, um, a couple in the UK first ever muslim gay marriage you you must have heard about it and they were they got death threats and abused you know you know who i'm talking about yep yeah. i definitely know who you, what you're talking about so that's the kind of hard part i feel like the christian community of course also has its issues too but they've had a lot longer to deal with these problems and so the they tend to be more accepting not not every single one but i mean even you have gay pastors sometimes right so the Christian community in terms of the tolerance and doesn't mean just because um, like you don't have to agree with someone, but you should at least give them the rights, the dignity and and you should give them the dignity as a human being. Right. So I'm, of course, a big, big supporter of gay marriage because if straight people get married, gay people should have the right as well. There's no reason to den deny a gay man or a gay woman from from the same rights that we have. And I don't have to like, you know homosexuality which is kind of a stupid thing to whether you like it or not is besides the point it's someone else's yeah. life not your life you know what i'm saying but but yeah that's how i i think of it so unfortunately the the muslim community i think in america i saw a study that said that i think more than half of american muslims now accept gay marriage which is amazingly good but when i was talking to another gay friend of mine in the uk he said that a lot of these stats are talking about muslims accepting gay marriage of non-muslims but like if it happened in their own family they wouldn't accept it would you agree with that sort of sentiment yeah just, this is so weird i do agree with that people mm -hmm. just i i don't i did that all the time i yeah. justified justified every single religious 
belief that I had for some reason. So I think that's their justification because they think that there is a battle going on. At least it reflects that. For me, it is good because it shows that they have capacity to think and, and they are having that battle. And religion is such a part of your identity. It is hard to let it go. So I get that. Like I get why they would come back to it with a different interpretation. So to me, it is the same process that I was doing you can see that, okay, well, I can't really not support gay marriage. That is definitely would make me inhumane, right? So I'm talking about those people. So they're definitely better than those people that think gay people should be killed. We're not talking about that lot yet. So uh, these people can think, okay, well, gay people shouldn't be killed, but it goes against the teaching of my religion. So how can I find a way to, to adjust my interpretation of it? And ultimately, you know, the, and, and that's why when, we, uh, when I have conversations about religion, I said, let's have conversations about religion, not according to what you interpret. Because I have met, I was once an amazing and an awesome Muslim. I was once a very liberal Muslim. Not, there was no, like, if I talk about my um, idea of human rights to my idea of human rights when I was a, an accepting Muslim, there's zero difference. So you can being a muslim you can reach to a point right where you are totally liberal but then why i left religion was i, I found it contradicting to the text uh, did you see that so yeah there was a huge contradiction no, so if i can I just religion Sorry? if i can just nail nail in that point before you move on to the next point this is something that i like to stop and kind of pause on because it's something that i think many people need to hear you can be muslim and still respect human rights. You can be Muslim. Like what you said needs to be highlighted. Your values towards humanity were the same as a Muslim as you are now. Meaning, you know, for me too, let me just tell you, I converted to Sunni Islam. We didn't really talk about that, but I converted to Sunni Islam. And one of the things I was puzzled about was when I heard my friends saying, you know, being gay is wrong or something like that. And I asked my dad, my dad is a smiley, was a smiley, and I asked him, I said, is that, like, does that make sense? Like, being gay is bad? And he was like, no, gay people are born that way, right? And they didn't choose that. Now, I don't necessarily agree that people, gay, I think it's a little, there's a little bit more nuance needed than just to say that gays are born gay because I think that it's more than just the genes. It's It's genes plus... Um, epigenetic factors it's a little bit more complicated than that. but regardless it's not a choice i don't believe that sexuality is a choice regardless of whether you're mm -hmm. born or whether it happens by the time you hit puberty whatever the case is it's not changeable it's it is what once you once you are what you are you are that so that's not the point that's a red hearing but that's what my dad but maybe said. it is changeable i mean there are people that go through you know that ex those experiences as well they become ex-gay yeah, and, 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 I I suspect that they're not they're just burying it deep down inside in order to I'm, conform. I'm no to... one to invalidate those experiences too. <laughs> sure, if okay. you want to become an ex-gay and you think it can happen, spend all your the life problem, becoming an ex-gay. The problem with ex-gay is it's it's a dangerous thing to try to convert someone sexual. The, the reason I don't like that is because. It's a very harmful idea, and it, it can cause a lot of mental damage to someone to 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 even think that that's even possible, because then they might consider that maybe I can change. Whereas, 
the reality is the science to me i'm not an expert i'm, I'm sorry in no way i'm yeah. advocating for conversion therapy that's not what i meant yeah. i was talking about person's personal choice yeah yeah not to go through conversion therapy yeah not to go through those yeah that's not but what i'm talking about is okay well you know i am not going to act upon my homosexual yeah, desires and yeah. that's what you want you know sure by all means you can you can talk about that experience you know by all yeah. means right it's a personal experience yeah, you exactly. cannot force that on someone yeah, I'm totally against conversion therapy, and I'm so glad Canada banned it. Yes. I'm big advocate of banning conversion therapy. Just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you're right that you know we can respect people's right to say that the ex gay, but I'm sorry, I just don't, I don't buy it. It's, it's like, can I become gay? I don't think so. But regardless, regardless, that's beside the point. The point I wanted to make was yeah. ask my dad about this, and my dad said, no, like. There's nothing wrong with that. It's that's just the way they are, right? They're born that way. That's what he said. And I was like, Yeah, that makes sense. There's nothing wrong with being gay. Now, but the religion was teaching me something else. I converted to Sunni Islam. I've been told. So I had this internal conflict in my mind where I was, I would say things like this. I would say, Okay, listen, I understand gay people are born gay, but it's my I'm not being a bigot. It's just my religious belief that they're not allowed to be gay. It seems weird to even, it sounds very horrible to even say that. But I, I was trying, and as soon as I left Islam, I'm like, get rid of this shit belief. I don't, obviously it's fine to be gay. I just went back to what my instinct was, which was what I believed all along, but I was kind of covering it with the religious belief, which I, because I had no choice. So this is a way, this is an example of how religion blocks you from free thinking because you're not allowed to think certain things you're not allowed to believe it's okay to be gay because allah said it's not okay so therefore yeah. it's not okay i mean yes there are ways to reinterpret that but what i mean was according to my straightforward sunni interpretation like the mainstream interpretation being gay is haram so i just said it's wrong but i'm saying it's wrong from a religious perspective that's why i used to tell non-muslim friends i'm not I'm not against gay marriage, but I'm against gay marriage from a it's, it sounds so stupid to even say that now. But but you're but protecting point, yourself though. You're protecting yeah. your because religion is a part of your identity. So you're protecting yes. that identity by saying yeah. this. But at least you're not advocating for killing them. You're not advocating for and I think yeah. that's also a very good place to 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 be you in know, if if everybody on the globe, all Muslims, because that's what our channel, like this is what you're talking about, your channel, yeah. right? If all yeah. the Muslims can actually come to a point where they say, okay, well, you know, I need to protect my identity, but I can't really, you know, force them to to not to to not engage into homosexual in, in homosexual acts. I have to let them be who they are. And and that's that's okay. They mm -hmm. can they, they, they can do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, I'm just gonna highlight a few comments. Um, Simon is saying sexuality is not a choice. Do you really think we want to be ostracized from society? Which is which I think he's trying to make a point that most people wouldn't choose to be gay because you're the minority and Correct. your life is like probably much harder. Well, yeah, because I'm heteronormative, I'm a straight male, I have a lot more liberties than someone that's gay. It's easier for me to be in a relationship. It's e I'm not treated, you know, I'm not demonized by religious folk or anything like that. So it's much harder to be a gay man than to be a straight man, which is, Definitely. Which is why 100%. And and even the fact that you tried to cover it up and tried to be straight. I know, I know another gay ex-Muslim that he even got married. And he said it was one of the worst experiences because he said he made his wife's life miserable 
and he regretted it deeply and he you know he he's sorry for what he did to her he he kind of blames himself for it. but his family kind of pressured him into it and he he's somali right. and he married a somali woman and of course he feels that it was his his mistake and he he feels sorry for what he put her through but he was trying to fit in like he was trying to do what he was taught right and you know yeah. it's, it's, it's hard, very right? very it it's it i i i can i can relate to it because you know all my uh, relationships with girls you know when i was dating them um mm -hmm. i feel guilty about that those relationships because i was lying in those relationships um all the lying that i did i entered into a marriage of convenience um i married a woman um so uh you know just to please my parents um it was an it was a marriage where both parties well i knew uh that you know she knew sorry she knew that i'm gay and she had her own oh. reasons, right? So it was a marriage of convenience. It was a cover-up marriage. Let, let me call it this. A lot of people don't understand what marriage of convenience is because it's a very widely known term within the gay community. Oh, okay. uh, a lot of people call it lavender marriages as well, but let's call it a cover-up marriage where um, she knows what I need. I need a cover. And I know her reasons, whatever her reasons are. I'm not going to talk about her reasons, right? Uh, but we basically agreed that this is just a cover-up marriage for both of us. So, and why? Did yeah, you I did that too. Why did you need? Why did you need a marriage? Why did I need a marriage to just get my parents and family off my back because they were pressurizing me? Um, okay, so this is important. This is actually very interesting. You yeah. felt pressured into getting married. Y yes, and I have talked about uh, talked with my family about it uh, afterwards, and it it does appear, and or they make me feel like now that it was more so something in my mind rather than what they were doing. Um, and I think there is truth to that too. So it's both ways. I was putting pressure. It's literally in a South Asian culture and we haven't really gone into depth of, you know, a lot of things because uh, it's such a long journey. Uh, it's my desire to be the perfect child and the perfect son of my parents was at the, at the peak of everything else. Like, so that desire was driving the pressure that I was putting myself under. Um, a lot of times that pressure did not exist. Uh, it was self-created. A lot of times it did exist. Um, so I'm not going to say my parents were pressurizing me, but each week I would call my mom uh, every weekend from Dubai just to see how she's doing. And somehow she would bring up a conversation about marriage. Now, a lot of times she wasn't doing it actively because it was some, you know, some, some relative of her telling her, hey, there's this girl, and all she's doing is just talking to me about this girl, right? So she's not literally telling me or pressurizing me, hey, you got to get married. She's just introducing the, this girl to me. Hey, have you seen that girl? Do you remember this girl? You met that girl, you know? But to me, that was a lot of pressure. That, to me, yeah. that was her. She was just telling me her desire right. um, that I, I, I need to get married. So it's really complex. Okay. Than just to say that it was pressure from the family or it was pressure that I built myself. It was, it was a combination. I understand. I understand. So before we continue, mm. I want to share something with everyone. Check out Salman's TikTok. So Salman has TikTok and Instagram. Uh, the Instagram is linked. I'm going to link it later, but it's, it's on the TikTok as well. Uh, Salman makes some really nice videos on TikTok. And so feel free to follow him on there as well. And... Um, yeah, maybe at some point you'll be making. Do you have any plans to make a YouTube at all? Or are you going to stick to TikTok for now and Instagram? Hello? Someone? Yeah, are you here? Can you hear me? 
can you hear me Salman hello can you can you can you hear me can you hear me I think I lost Salman hello Salman oh your sound is gone okay so I can't hear you something happened um, yeah, so like I was saying, check out Salman's TikTok. It's gonna it's linked below. And while I wait for Salman to come back, if you are liking this channel and enjoying the content, friendly ex-Muslim content, please do consider supporting the channel. You can do so on Patreon. So um, it looks like I lost Salman. So if you can con consider joining the channel, your support is greatly valuable. I have people helping me to edit videos, doing the subtitles. Hey, Salman, are you back? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, while while you were away, I was just sharing. I shared your TikTok for those who are interested, and also I was asking people for financial support. So if you'd like like to support the channel, I would mostly appreciate it. It looks like I am in need of some new equipment right now. <laughs> my my audio and video is all out of sync, and my video card is dying. So um, I would appreciate financial support. It is most appreciated. Thank you guys. Thank you to all my patrons. Thank you to people that come to all the streams, like and subscribe to the channel, all that great stuff. We're not done the story yet, but wanted to share this. And uh, Awful Ian, uh, thank you for the 100 sex. Uh, I don't know what sex is, <laughs> what, what, what currency that is, but I'm going to highlight your, your comment. Being gay is as unnormal as being left-handed. My daughter is left-handed and my son is gay. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Awful. Yes, that's that's hundred percent right. Do you have any any comments on that, um, Salman? Yeah, sure. It's it's unnormal to you. Um, so it's unnormal. It's unnormal to me that you felt the desire of sharing that comment here. Oh no, no, he's saying it's as unnormal as 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 being gay. Oh. Meaning it's oh it's, okay. I'm it's sorry. just a natural variety or yeah, sure. uh, variation in nature that we find, right? And just but, a same answer what is normal right like yeah. i know that you're saying that in the support but yeah. even if you weren't saying that in the support the answer will stay the same normal yeah. is something that we perceive as yeah. you know what's normal to us so sure yeah i mean thank you very much for the support i totally understand i totally get it uh, at one point i thought it was not normal now i think it is normal so yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> there you go Alrighty. So, okay, so now you guys know where to find Salman. Uh, Salman, if you want to continue, where were we at? We, we talked about the pressure you went through to go to a fake marriage. You were in Dubai at the time. We haven't got to you leaving Islam just yet. We got to you having making peace with Islam and also being gay. So like liberal Islam or being liberal. We talked about the human rights perspective, which is so important. Not all Muslims should be treated or assumed that just because someone is Muslim that they are a bad person. We cannot and we should not assume that. Right. Ask people, what do you believe? Do you believe this? What are your views on this? Just because someone is Muslim does not mean you have the right to treat them a certain different way. Everyone should be have the same dignities and respect and rights as non-Muslims, Muslims, whatever. We're not like that. We don't treat people based on differently based on the sex, gender, religion, race, nationality, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, so going back to the journey again i am now at a point where i am a good muslim um which i consider as a good muslim my goal of being a good muslim i think in that period of time i was really happy because i felt that i was a good human being um and a believing uh, muslim so very satisfied um and uh, then after living apart or away from my parents for about 19 years i got an opportunity to live with my parents for one year in dubai so they moved to canada i moved them from canada to live with me in dubai 
for one year. In that one year, my whole world fell apart <laughs> because I got a reality check. So when I'm hanging in, hanging out in Muslim circle, um, I'm already um, being, well, I'm already made being, uh, how should I say it? I was already feeling them an outcast because I wasn't accepted because of my ideas, because of my liberal ideas, you know, I would openly say, well, women don't have to wear hijab if they don't want to. Islam has a place for that. And I would show them why I believe what I believe in. Um, and they would then, you know, bring up thousands of hadith and a lot of Quranic verses in front of me. And we would have a debate. And of course, you know, I, I, it is, I mean, what's written is written, but then there is an interpretation to it. So I would always go with the interpretation aspect where they would say, well, how can you? And then I would say, well, you also interpret so many things. You're not following a lot of things that are written in Quran. Let's talk about slavery. Let's talk about Hadith, you know, uh, Muhammad marrying Aisha when she was um, uh, nine years old, you know, things like that. And I'm like, you already contradicting the text so many times. But when I contradict it, contradict the text, I become non-Muslim. Um, so I was trying to hold on to my identity and that struggle was really, really obvious, uh, but it wasn't obvious to me, right? It became obvious to me when my parents moved in, uh, when I started having these debates with my parents, um, that's when I realized, okay, well, something is not right in this equation. Why am I? So yes, I was always having these arguments with the outside world. And I always thought that I was a better Muslim than the rest of the world. You know, this is better. I am better than other. This is something so ingrained in every religious person. I'm better. Well, not all of them. Sorry. So I shouldn't have used the word every, but a lot of religious people. You know, I'm better than them. And that drives you. That drives you to continue on the journey of being a, uh, being a Muslim or, or whatever. So I always just think I'm better than all of them. You know, my understanding is superior than all of them. <laughs> So with that thought, um, I started debating my parents and I realized, you know, forget about the rest of the world. I always had issues with the rest of the Muslim world. In my own household, I was encouraged to debate and challenge these narratives that are accepted by the rest of the world, the rest of the Muslims. In my own house, they are no longer accepted because I have come so far uh, in my interpretations that my, my interpretations have become unacceptable to even my, my parents. And that was the realization point. And I'm like, something is not right. So I started talking more to the Muslim world. I deliberately, which I wouldn't, because I, I was living in Dubai. I had a lot of non-Muslim friends. I had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Muslim friends. So there were different friends. And, you know, we wouldn't even think about having religious conversations. Uh, so in my very close circles that were Muslims, I started having those conversations. And that was another reality check. Okay, well, I have perhaps moved too far in my interpretations to the point where it's to me, it's all about holding that identity that that's dear to me. Um, and then I started questioning, why is that identity dear to me? I am already not being accepted by this community, right? So, and then I recognized the identity is dear to you because, you know, it's a community. It's a sense of belonging, right? And that's the community that, um, and it's very different than the identity that I had, uh, that I had as a gay, because I, as gay, I am not connected with the LGBTQ plus community. It's such a shame, you know, uh, growing up in Pakistan and just recently moving to the West, I'm still trying to connect with that community. But that desire of being gay didn't originate because I wanted to 
be accepted or I wanted to be, you know, part of community. But I was holding on to my Muslim identity because of that. So when I recognize that, that I'm holding on to this identity just for people, I'm like, that's it. Why am I holding on to it? Right. So then I said to myself, I'm not a Muslim anymore. And yeah, I started making small statements in front of my family. And then the next journey started where basically, you know, I was uh, not a Muslim anymore, non-believer, but then declaring that to the community, which, which again, you know, none of them believed that I was a Muslim, but yet me saying that I'm not a Muslim was such a big deal to them. And I did not understand why. I mean, you were already not accepting me as a Muslim. You were already thinking, oh no, but I thought that, you know, you were believing into Allah and you were believing into finality of Prophet Muhammad. So at least there's a chance of you going to heaven. Now I see no <laughs> hope for you. You're doomed. Yeah, so, you're doomed. <laughs> so that gave me further uh, uh, support <laughs> of why I don't want to be Muslim anymore. That actually helped you, honestly. <laughs> Because yeah. a person, when they're saying that I'm not a Muslim anymore, they're already saying that because of these things too. And then they just throw it in your face one after another. And I was like, yep, yep. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. But, but with all of that, what comes next is the idea that you're no longer a part of, or you don't have that community anymore. And that's, that's loss. You have to go through that grief. Uh, you come out of that grief and you come out on the other end far stronger and better and happier but you do have to go through that process. Yeah, I um, I resonate with that because I went through that as well. By the way, thank you, Music Guy Twenty, for your twenty dollars donation. Very kind of you. Um, I went through losing all my friends, and I am at the point now where when you're an activist, it's even worse. Being an ex-Muslim is one thing. Being an ex-Muslim activist is kind of dangerous, kind of like depending on your situation, and so. I don't have any Muslim. I have like a couple of Muslim friends, like very, very selective about Muslim friends now because I worry about the dogma getting in the way of their relationship with me and potentially feeling there's like a conflict of interest. Many Muslims feel like they can't be friends with me because I speak about Islam and I'm ex-Muslim. Um, so I, I, I resonate with the fact that you lost a lot of friends. So what did you do after that? You made new friends? How did, How is your life going? So that part of your journey, you know, it, it was tragic, but it was necessary, right? Would you say that? Yes, uh, definitely. Um, it was, and it's like coming out, you know, coming out as a gay person, coming out as an, as, as a, as a non-believer, it is mm -hmm. difficult or as an ex-Muslim. Um, I keep saying non-believer. I'm so sorry because in my mind still I'm struggling, uh, in, in using the identity ex-Muslim, because I do know that ex-Muslim identity is associated with being an activist. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to become an activist, activist, but I'm not an activist right now um, yep. who talks about, you know. Oh, that's fine. No, I mean, I, I consider the, the title ex-Muslim is not, I don't consider that like an activist title, although correct. it was invented by activists. Um, I think, um, okay, I'm even forgetting, my mind's going blank. But but the point is, it is an, a label that, that is meant to draw awareness to the issues that are particular to former believers of Islam. Meaning, yes. meaning there are many atheists and agnostic out there that are ex-Christian, ex-Mormon, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, and they all have a little bit of a different flavor to the stories and the journeys. For example, being gay is much worse in Islam mm -hmm. and much, usually much more difficult for ex-Muslims. I mean, your story is actually, believe it or not, not as bad as some other stories I've heard. Like, yeah. Like you said, your family is very loving. 
I know one mm. guy. Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. Tell me. Yeah. Dude, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. The family relationship. Well, I I I don't enjoy good relationships with anymore. With them. Okay. Anymore. Because of leaving Islam and because not of really because of being gay. That's oh, because of being part. gay. So I came out to them as a non-Muslim before I came out to them as gay. Oh. Mm -hmm. So my way of telling them that I'm gay. So the reason, and this is the thing, to me, both are coming out experiences. And I found uh, coming out as gay, uh, as, as a gay, more difficult experience than coming out as a non-Muslim. Um, that's an interesting one, exactly. That's interesting. You see, that's where my activism is focused right now on being gay. So I totally respect the activism, you know, that is focused around uh, ex-Muslim. And, and, and just, I'm going to talk about my relation with the family, but I want to come back to the term ex-Muslim. I understand, sure. ex and the reason why I use it for myself, because I do use it for myself. And the reason why I use ex-Muslim for myself is not because I, uh, although I have that association somewhere at subconscious level, I, my experiences as a human being and my journey does have such a significant part you know, it, it influence. There's so much influence from Islam on my on my life that I cannot just say, "Oh, I am a non-believer." No, it doesn't work. Non-believer, I'm an atheist. That doesn't define my experience or my journey. You know, I went through PTSD. You know, after leaving religion, after facing you know people whatever you know lack of support from the muslim community so how can i say that you know i am an atheist just on its own because that doesn't do justice to my journey so yeah i do use the word ex-muslim just so that you know oh, yeah. uh, okay so coming back to my family's relationship my relationship yeah. with my family right now isn't that great we uh maintain a healthy distance uh because they think that um be gay sinful they think that I'm, they, they are now hold on to the narrative and, and luckily they, it's a progress because initially they thought that it was a natural, uh, it, they look cursed and all that. Like, so the, all of that they have been able to kind of overcome. Yeah. And now they're at a point where they think that you can be gay because you were born that way, but you cannot act upon it because it's sinful. Uh, but they still accept me and my husband as in like, if you go to them and see them, you know, uh, they, they would accept me. They, they, they'd sit with us. They would not say, Hey, because initially that's how they were. They didn't want to even associate. But I am at a point in my life where I am like, you know what? I don't want toxicity in my life. I don't want people in my life that think that I am. I, I, I'd rather be alone than being, than hanging out with people who who hold such thoughts. They think that it's okay be, okay to discriminate us. So one of my sisters, you know, it different. Yeah, my different sisters, different different family members act differently towards me. So one of my sisters, she doesn't even allow me to go to her house. I am no longer allowed to see my nephews and nieces. Right? Is that and because of being gay? Because of being gay, not because of being, uh, no, not because of being an ex-Muslim. Right? That's so weird. It is not. They might have their own reasons. Um, and whatever those reasons are, I don't want to go into those reasons. Yeah, All okay. wrong reasons, but that's yeah. their journey, right? Yeah. So I'm sure that they have their reasons because we were yeah. raised together. We weren't yeah. so different, right? Yeah. So I know, yeah, but th that would be their struggle. Whatever struggle that is, whatever they're dealing with uh, in their household, uh, the fact remains that they discriminate. That's a discrimination. That's an act of discrimination of barring someone from the circle that they were previously privileged to be a part of. It's ostracizing them, you know, mm -hmm. from, from that circle. And none of their reasons would, would, would be able to justify that behavior. 
uh, in their mind it would, not to me. So to me, my family not really standing up against that behavior enough and being okay with that and giving a justification. Well, we can understand they are little children. They don't need to know that you have a husband oh or God. you're gay. How stupid. That to me was very disheartening. Yeah. And I, you know, now I'm at a, I'm at a, I'm at a place where I am, I'm maintain a healthy distance. I'm not, um, uh, I'm not really like, I'm not going to talk to you guys. I, I, I have a relationship where I wish them on the events. Uh, but I've come to peace of mind where we don't have to necessarily mingle with each other. And I think they have come to that conclusion as well, which is very good. So we're both at a happy place. It took them longer to arrive. I, I arrived there first and then seeing me being happy in my life and being satisfied with having very little connection, it was very hard for them. They blamed me for it. They blamed me that I, I left them instead of they leaving me. <laughs> that's, that's quite funny, eh? But yeah. it is what it is, uh, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I don't understand. Like, I somehow feel that within the Muslim community, this feeling of being victimized all the time, I just don't understand. I don't get it. Like, why are you always feeling that you're the victim? Yes, in the West makes sense. Okay, fair enough, because you're a minority. And I stand with a religious minority, but in freaking Pakistan, you're freaking 95% <laughs> of the population. Dude, hello, <laughs> you're, you're privileged. Yeah. You, and, and you take away could, people's rights. You victimize people uh, yeah. because of your beliefs, and then you want to hold them or, or hold on to this like idea of Islamophobia. When yeah. people talk about that in Pakistan, it does not make sense to me. It does make sense in the Western, uh, um, mm. definitely. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I was gonna say, but but to be fair, to be honest, Muslims have like really good have it well have it really good in canada and I, i'm talking about my experiences as a formerly practicing muslim i used to have a big beard pray five times a day i wouldn't shake hands with women at the office i would go for juma prayer and nobody could say anything to me like i was still accepted i still got jobs i still i was still treated with dignity people would think i was weird like my like i remember sitting down um in on the train with my former boss now i'm former boss but my boss at the time and telling him things like, yeah, I wouldn't buy a house on mortgage because it's haram, even if it financially made sense to me. And he was looking at me like I was crazy, but he respected me. And, you know, he tried to, you know, dialogue with me. And eventually, you know, these guys that I worked with helped me to start to see the problems in Islam, not from the morality perspective, because I was convinced completely that morality is from Allah, but from the like logical perspective, like somehow some of the things they said clicked into me and slowly but surely I was able to find my way out of Islam. But my rights and dignities as a Muslim in Canada, I cannot like I would I cannot say yes, there is anti-Muslim bigotry. But the, the fact is there's there's more bigotry towards Muslim minorities and Muslim countries. There's more racism in Saudi Arabia and probably, you know, no you know, Oman and Qatar and these countries, they treat they treat the minorities, they treat Bangladeshis and Desis and Pakistanis and all of these people with so much disdain. They call black people abid, like slave. There's so much open, like it's not just covert racism, it's overt racism. It's open racism. It's when you tell them you're from Africa, they treat you differently than when you say you're from um, Canada. Like I, I would tell people I'm from Canada. They would suddenly think I'm rich when I was in Egypt. Then I would say I'm Kenyan and they would be like, you're not black. Like, <laughs> like you're not black. I was like, what? Yeah, you're not African. Yeah, no, no, no. you're Indian. 
yeah 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 pakistani pakistani they would always say pakistani <laughs> so i i do think the word islamophobia is a bad term because really it should be anti-muslim bigotry but but the true meaning of islamophobia when it's not conflating criticism of the religion then I, I agree with that. I do agree that we should not be bigots. We should treat Muslims like I've, I've been saying that throughout the full, full interview. But I don't like that term because it, it conflates criticism of Islam. People call me an Islamophobe, despite the fact that I go out of my way to, to defend Muslims' rights and dignities. But but yeah, I, 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 I agree with the sentiment of what you're saying that there is some anti-Muslim bigotry and we, we need to guide against that, especially if the activists... And we speak about Islam. We need to be more careful, I'd say, than anyone else, because we don't want to. We don't want our activism to be used against Muslims to demonize them. We don't want them to be unfairly demonized. Plus, your target audience is uh, Muslims that are struggling. Yeah. Like, why? If if you are Islam, if you if if they think of you as an Islamophobe, and you're not. Like, I've I've, yeah. I've looked at your videos. You're very careful in the choice of words. You're always respectful. I'm very respectful of Islam. I, 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 I I'm have, respectful I, of Muslims, but not Islam. I don't have respect for the ideology. <laughs> I think yes. it's a bad ideology. Sorry, I, I agree. Same here. Yeah. Same here. Yeah, yeah I, I hear what you're saying. I, I yeah. totally get it. Uh, yeah. It's the same thing that I was telling you that, hey, you know what? The text, when you start taking it literally, you realize yes. there was so, there's so much problem with the text itself. But human beings make it okay because they interpret it differently. You know, I once interpreted it completely differently than, than how I read it now. And that was okay, actually. So, yeah, I, I hear you. I, it would be so, your story is so awesome. Like I'd love to interview you one day <laughs> and just listen to your story. We should do that. We should do that on TikTok. But I'm scared to get banned, so that's the only <laughs> problem I have. Maybe we should do another live, just talking about your experience. Yeah, those are yeah. very rich. Let, yeah. that, hey, that'll be that'll be the first reverse interview on my channel. We should try that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I'll be open to that. You're, you're the host, and I'm the I'm the guest. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that in the future. That'd be great. So, <laughs> going back to your story, so um, your relationship with your family solid. They now are. I mean, I understand what like they have the reasons. I mean, I hate to say they're being bigoted, but I feel like they are. But anyways, that's. They're not treating you the same anymore based on your identity. To me, that's a definition of bigotry. But regardless, I understand they have the reasons. My own brother is Muslim. And anyways, I don't want to talk about that. But there's some there's some friction there. They still see us and we still see them. We still talk. But there's obviously something we don't talk. We, I don't talk about religion. But he doesn't want to talk to, about religion to me. I wish he would because I was the one that got him into Islam. And he became very religious, just like I became very religious. But anyways, um, yeah, let's let's continue with your story. Um, so so now can, what happened? Can I say something if you're allowed? Yes, yes, yes. So I think it's important also for for us to just let people people be. Um, I I feel I, I see the struggle that yes. I through. Yes, and uh, I wouldn't wish that struggle upon my family. Um, I was lucky that I had relationships outside Muslim world. So I could maintain those friendships. And there were some Muslim friends that I were relationships that I was able to salvage, beautiful people that that were exactly like I was when I was when I, the phase that I can I wasn't always like that. So I'm not saying that I'm a beautiful person, but I was once a very beautiful Muslim. It was a phase during that phase. And uh, there are some beautiful people. Muslim people that are that way, they're still a part of my life. Uh, 
but unfortunately my family isn't one of them. Um, and I have to let them be and take their own journey. Um, you know, uh, honestly, like going through the depression of not being accepted and not fitting in, um, I, I, when I came out as gay, I felt when I came out as ex-Muslim to my family, I did not fall into depression. But when I came out as gay, the way I was treated and discriminated, I did fall into depression. Um, and because I went through that phase, I would not wish that phase upon any of my family members. So if they don't see my face ever, if they say to me, Salman, we do not want to see you at all for the rest of our lives, but do not go into that depression because now I'm out of it. I don't need them anymore. I did. And I wish during that phase, you know, they were, I, I, I wouldn't say this. I really wanted them to change. I wanted them to change their perspective uh, and outlook towards, towards gay people and towards ex-Muslims both. Um, but it doesn't matter anymore. And I'm like, well, you know, if they don't fall into that depression and just, you know, continue on their journey, then, you know, I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And a lot of my ex-Muslim friends have the same relationship with their parents where, sorry, not the same relationship, the same mindset with their parents where they, they haven't told their parents. And they're like, well, my parents are old. They're probably going to die in the next 10 years or so. I will come out as an ex-Muslim publicly once they die. Like I literally have mm -hmm. friends like that. And it's totally, I yeah. I totally get that's your choice. You have every right to do that. They they don't want to lose access to their nieces and nephews. And they're hoping that they can be a positive influence on their family while they're still in the closet as an ex-Muslim. And I understand that. I could never do that. I but just you gotta live your life too. So I'm not yeah. advocating that I like there are reasons, yes. Like if so I always say if you are not financially emotionally independent, emotionally independent as well, which means you know that you have people in your life that accept you for who you are. So first find those people before you even coming out before you even think about coming out. And if you are coming out without that support, and if you are that brave, if you're self-reliant, by all means, like I'd support you, right? But I have been through that and I thought that I was very brave and it's difficult. It's very difficult. Coming out journey is very difficult, whether it's an ex-Muslim or, or as a gay person. Um, and when you come out to your parents, you know, um, if you like, what I'm saying is that you got to live your truth too. Like at some, like I'm at a point where I, I would never, I wish that I came out earlier, honestly. I, I don't, I don't think, I don't regret coming out at all. But I, I feel like that, you know, like I have the right to live my journey and my life. Uh, have my journey in the way I think it's right. They also have that right. So I think that acceptance also, it's very important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. So, and that's a good point too, that they have the, they have every right to, I mean, I hate to say cut you off. They have a right to cut you off, but they do. I mean, my family has a right to not talk to me if they don't want to. Thankfully, my family is very liberal and they don't have that issue. So they, they still talk to me and stuff other than my brother who is a very strict Muslim um but you know his his kids Do know your that family it, thinks that it's they don't talk to you no most of my family has no issue with me being they have a little bit of an issue with me talking about right. islam they're like you're an extremist atheist that they think atheism is extreme as they put it it's extreme to be atheist i'm like i just different i don't believe in god you believe in god it's not extreme it's just a different i just don't believe in god mm -hmm. but they don't have a problem with me. I still see them for Eid. You know, we hug my all my aunties. And like, again, they we don't talk about religion. And religion is not a major part of their lives for the most part. It is a cultural thing. And 
And, you know, we're different because maybe we'll get into this more when you interview me, but my family being in Kenya, it's very different than the, the, the Pakistani Muslims that come from Pakistan and live in Canada. Because in, in Kenya is, we were there for several generations and it's a very multicultural society. And so a lot of the Kenyan Muslims are quite liberal. There's the religious Muslims too, mm -hmm. but there's a different sort of tolerance towards others. Um, and my family is like my immediate family, my dad and mom are like super liberal. Like my dad used to say that, you know, if you're gay, it's okay. If you're not Muslim, it's okay. If you believe in whatever you believe is fine. He was very, he, he was okay with all that, which is a huge blessing to me. But going back to your story, now that, you know, this, you, you've able, you've been able to come out What's what are your goals? What's important to you now? Um, as you you mentioned, you're happily married, which is you know happy for you that you were able to find you know find that love, and you're at that place in your life now where you don't have that depression and all that stress dealing with all of those things. What's next for you in your life now? That's that's very very good question. Uh, but by the way, I, I I'm with my husband for twelve years, so nice. Uh, it's it's been a it's been a beautiful journey. Uh, we got married three years ago. Oh yeah, nice. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, so what's next for me? Just live my life. <laughs> like I've always been living. I my goals is I'm a very uh, um my goal has always been, you know, uh create a loving family, create a loving environment, uh win the house that I'm living in. So right now I'm living my husband and dog and I try to give them as much as love as possible, try to enjoy their love as much as possible. Um, and that's really important to me. That's, that's beauty. Um, so I, I guess that's what I uh, wish to continue doing. One of the things that I definitely would love to do moving forward um, would be, and different from what I'm already doing is connect with LGBTQ plus community a little bit more. Um, I don't see myself as an activist in that regard either. That's not my, my, my goal, but I think I already have become one because I have a platform and a channel now. So I have to accept and embrace that identity too. <laughs> I'm yeah. new to all of that. So it's going to take yeah. a little bit of time, you know, uh, to, to accept that. So maybe, you know, um, do something more in that regard and, uh, um, yeah, I've been listening to your TikToks and I've been listening to Haris Sultan a lot. Um, and maybe that's a part of another identity that I need to sort of embrace that now I am an ex-Muslim. I'm a part of that community to what extent and to, to what extent or not, I would want to involve in that community too. Right. So that is, I think those will be the few things that I need to figure out moving forward, but honestly, I'm at a very happy place in my life and that's how I want to continue living. Like I wouldn't change a thing. I'm super, super satisfied and super happy with the decisions that I've made. I've made mistakes in my life like anybody else makes and I've learned from those mistakes um, and I'm growing each day and I never intend to stop growing. Those are the principles that and, and I continue learning every day. Beautiful, beautifully said. And I just want to say I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Um, do you have any final words you want to say to the Muslims that are listening, to anyone else that might be out there that's um, watching the show. Um, now's your chance, and um, then we'll end on that. Uh, um, good. I mean, to Muslims, I would say that um, if you are struggling with your, um, with the ideas of what you consider as moral and what you're told, 
Um, it's okay to feel that way. Um, do not reject what you're feeling. Um, process it. Um, something beautiful will come out of it. Um, it may not necessarily be, you know, you talking and uh, talking in an interview like that, um, you know, as an ex-Muslim. It may not be that, or it may be that. It may be just that, you know, you'd, you'd find yourself in a very happy place with um, fewer contradictions. Um, to me, um, I would say that, you know, um, listening to those voices and, because um, I, I don't know if you, are, if you are going through those contradictions or not, but I, when I was in the journey, um, uh, in my journey, I had a lot of contradictions. You know, there was something that I would consider as moral. Let's say, for example, not looking at a woman uh, as if she's inferior, if she's not wearing hijab. Um, or not judging someone just because they are doing something, you know, that is different or against the teachings or not looking at an ex-Muslim, let's say, for example, and outrightly thinking that they, they are, you know, against Islam or, you know, judging them and not really understanding their perspective. If, if there are contradictions of those sort uh, with, with your morals that you're taught and, and, and your inner voice, I would say just listen to your inner voice too. Um, don't reject your morals also that you've been taught. I think it's important to you to hold on to them, but don't hold on to them blindly. Process your your inner voices. Um, think about them, and 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 yeah, and 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 empathy is one thing that no matter how much you exercise is never going to be enough. So continue exercising empathy towards other people and listen to other people's stories and journeys. Beautiful, beautiful, well said. And uh, so that's it. So I'm just going to mention one more last thing before we end, which is. Because of my style, you know, I tend to go and interview and we, I like to discuss like, you know, feelings and experiences. We didn't talk about the more dangerous side of Islamic extremism, which is that gays should be killed. I mean, that's like the worst, like the worst part of, I would say, Islam, um, the, the people that interpret it that way. I'm just going to share my screen for one second. I just want to show you guys one thing. And um, because this needs to be said, and this is important, right? There are people out there, like there was this guy on TikTok. Obviously, FBI has been contacted now because he did it from his real account, where he was basically saying that gay people should be killed. And he was suggesting there needs to be like another Orlando shooting. So that, that part of the religion does exist as well. And we do need to acknowledge that. I missed talking about that because of my tendencies. And I don't want to end on that. But I just want to quickly highlight that before we move on and get back to what, what I was saying, which was more important, which is what Salman ended off on was, was a very positive note that, you know, be, have empathy for others, try to look internally, um, think about how is it possible that, you know, if this religion is truly from God, why would, they, why would they want to get rid of people, beautiful people from this earth that is just different? You know, is it possibly that the, the creator of this religion was not the creator of the universe, but maybe it was a man that misunderstood human sexuality? I mean, 1400 years ago, people didn't understand the natural variety of of how humanity truly is. Right. Like the rainbow flag represents that diversity that exists. Right. And so we we should we should look at that as part of the beauty of humanity, not look at it the way that, and unfortunately the Abrahamic meme has been dragging down this part of humanity more than others. Um, it, 
it's reflected in the you know the experiences that you had um and you know shockingly it, it was actually worse to your family that you were not a the atheist part was less bad than the gay part which which is kind of like shocking to me and it just shows that we have a long way to go this activism this conversation is so important we need to keep having these conversations um whatever you're doing you know i i found you on tiktok which and i loved your content a lot of it's in urdu which is great i don't speak urdu but i think that community it's it's more important for them i'd say even more so than the english-speaking community because obviously there's different people you reach so you know guys please support salman do check out his TikTok and his Instagram. Subscribe to his Instagram. I'll add the, the to the link later. And I do wish I could speak Urdu. It was saying here that, you know, if I could speak Urdu, they'd be great. But there's there's people doing great job in Urdu already. There's Abdullah Gondal, there's Hara Sultan, and there's many others as well that are that are doing this. Um, so yeah, I just want to say thank you, Salman. We're, we're gonna do we'll do the reverse interview in the new year. Wanna wish everyone a happy new year and a great 2022 you know 2021 has been a little bit crazy but uh hopefully 2022 will be better and i'm looking forward to having lots of great streams doing more content and uh, abdullah gondal is going to be having a mini series on the epileptic prophet little short clips that are hitting to the point because i know that you know a lot of you said the streams were very long and so you know you want like a quick quick um like tiktok style you know to the point arguments that you can share with others that people can watch um so we're going to be working on that as well so thank you everyone have a wonderful happy new year if you're in a part of the world that hasn't had a new year yet then happy new year and for those of you who are ready in 2022 you know good luck <laughs> good luck in the new year uh stay safe stay well get vaccinated if you can and um and 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 as a Apostle Prophet would say, stay away from Islam. As Hazrat Sultan would say, science half is. Um, take care, everyone. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Happy New Year.